It's Thursday, 2 p.m. Pacific. I'm Fred McMurray. It's February 14th, and it's time for Pillars of Franchising, broadcasting the secrets of success with Ray Pillar and me, Fred McMurray. Ray, how are you doing today? Happy Valentine's Day, Fred. How are you? I'm doing great. The weather's beautiful out here in Aurora, Illinois, and can't wait to get this show on the road. Same here. It's it's figuratively um, and, and 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 really. Well, and Go you're ahead. going to be taking the mobile broadcasting studio on the road in a couple of weeks. So, folks, if you can call in and give us your guess on where he's going to be, you'll win a prize. We don't know what the prize is yet, but you'll win a prize. <laughs> the weather here is well. I keep waiting for Ray weather, and and amazingly enough. It looks like I'm seeing blue sky over the Pacific. You know, every every Thursday, Ray, in this winter, it's been really crappy in the morning. And by the time I get on the phone with you, you brighten the skies. Ah, what can I nice? say? Just a, a ray of sunshine. So we got a big show today. We have Cynthia Johnson, author of Platform, uh, The Art and Science of Personal Branding. We also have uh, Leslie Cuban, and what book did she write, Ray? Oh, oh, wait a minute, she did, oh, French fries. <laughs> More than just French fries. All right, 15 business thoughts leaders share insights on franchising success. However, before that, as said last week, we have some really big news. Um, our first ever hope. And our first ever guest and sponsor, Michelle Rumpel of Mediafine Marketing, is on the phone to tell us what her big news is. What's your big news, Michelle? Hey, so the big news is that Fred is no longer the CEO of Mediavine Marketing. Sorry, Fred, to kind of break it to you on the air here. I know, you know, maybe not the best way to announce it for you, but yeah, Fred's no longer the CEO. However, <laughs> Fred is the CEO of Westvine. Yeah, we um, Mediavine Marketing, we've just rebranded to Westvine. We're really excited about it. Um, we've taken on a, a new partner. We've expanded our services. And so Mediavine Marketing is no more. Hello, Westvine. We're really excited. Um, have a great Valentine's show. I know it's going to be great, and I'm looking forward to hearing, um, you know, hearing from the guests today. What do you think about that, Ray? I think that's fantastic. That's very exciting. Well, as you know, uh, Dwyer Group just changed their name, rebranded their uh, company, uh, which uh, my franchise is a part of. And uh, I'll tell you, I'm getting a lot of positive results from the rebranding. Uh, because we just uh, put the new logo on some of our our cars uh, this past week, and people are just walking in the door saying, "Wow, love the new logos on the cars." So I assume you guys gonna are gonna have a new logo, and and re, you know, where's the party? Yeah, that's we, what I want. Yeah, know. we. Yeah, <laughs> really. Yeah, we've got we've got a new logo. Our logo looks kind of similar to to the Mediavine logo, different colors, you know, different obviously different name. Um 
So we didn't want to, we kind of wanted to keep a little bit with the same look, not to confuse everybody, because we've been around since 2010. So it's been, you know, it's been kind of a big, it's a big change for us. But yeah, I agree with you. The Molly Maid rebrand looks fabulous. Really, really nice. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta say, yeah, they did a fantastic job on it. So, well, really again, like where, where's the party? Michelle, Fred, where's the party? Uh, you know, we got to uh, party. Right? <laughs> yeah, party. Um, okay, we're we're gonna have to plan that. Just like the uh, the prize that you guys mentioned, we gotta we gotta work on the party too. <laughs> oh. <okay. laughs> we're getting there. We're getting there. It it you know what? It takes a lot more to rebrand. It, it, there's a lot of work to rebranding, which I'm sure, you know, any of any of you out there that have had to have had to rebrand or chose to rebrand, um, you know, the advent of social media and all the digital directories you're on and everything. It's amazing how much work it is to change everything over. We're still finding things <laughs> to change. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah, well, it's a big deal. You know, you know where I'm at, right? Aurora, Illinois. Yeah. yeah. Party on, Garth. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I love it. And uh, that note, thanks, Michelle, for telling me I no longer have a job, but that's okay. <laughs> You're most welcome, Fred. You're most welcome. Happy Valentine's Day. Boy, this sucks. Thank but, you. Oh. Thank you so much. <laughs> have a good Bye. show. Okay, so um, now that I'm unemployed, um, <laughs> Let, and we're just talking about rebranding. Let's bring our first guest on. And who's that guest, Ray? L- Leslie Cuban. No, nope. You have the second guest, dude. That's our second guest. That's our second guest? Oh, okay. That's our I must have shuffled guest. my papers. <laughs> uh, All right, then we got yeah. Cynthia Johnson. She's the uh, author of Platform Branding. Which is oh, just hi. came out. Hi, Cynthia. Is, is, is How's that it going? <laughs> I'm sorry. Did that uh, book just come out? It did, uh, February 5th. Yeah. Yeah, just a week ago. So, what made you decide to write um, platform, the art of art and science of personal branding? So, uh, for me, I was in. An, a unique situation at work where I was um, sort of contracted uh, because of an acquisition that happened to work at a, a health, public health care company. And I had a pretty massive team spread out across uh, the country. And what I was realizing is how uh, important elements of personal branding were becoming to everyday people and that you know, a lot of people were being sort of sometimes overlooked or had to fight uh, a little bit harder to, you know, or even make, you know, um, really just like lateral moves in their in their job, which for change. And you know, this theory of having to quit every three years. And um, the the difference was that you know, there's all this personal branding content out there for people who want to build a, a an, an empire or want to work for themselves. You know, and, and a lot of this can be applied, but there wasn't really anything um, that spoke to people who need to create a brand for the purpose of their career and life, the, the way that the average person needs it. Uh, and so I thought you know, this is something that everyone should be doing, uh, even if you start just the very beginning basis. And uh, that's where it started. And uh, it took about two years. So uh, I wrote the proposal 
I got a deal, signed a contract in, a, that was, I think, February of uh, 2016. It took two years for publishing. So it wasn't a, a fast-moving process, but I, I definitely think the timing is still is still great, and uh, I do hope it, it can help a lot of people. Well, I'll tell you, from what I've seen, uh, there's a whole lot of people out there who can't even brand themselves with a decent LinkedIn URL, profile URL. So uh, mm-hmm. I think it's definitely a timely topic. Ray, your question. Well, I think in this, in this day and age, that sounds intriguing. I've never heard it quite put that way, but I think that does put it in a, kind of in a nutshell of what you need to do so, so that other people will know who you are and what you're about. But I think also it provides you with a certain amount of self-confidence that, uh, of who you are. And I think it's an mm-hmm. excellent idea. Uh, and and what, what, are, what are some of the strategy involved in personal branding? So, I mean, for the very beginning, it's, you know, it's kind of that uh, thing no one really wants to do or talk about because it's not the fun part. <laughs> it's, it's looking and making sure that you know, you know what's out there. Um, about you and you know what people can see and what they can't see and you're you know taking steps to ensure that you're putting the right kind of content out there uh, you'll you know I compare this to credit where you know you get a credit score and then you know if it's good you know if it's bad uh, the difference is that you know when people are looking at your credit score and you know why online and with personal branding you don't know when or why people look for you, and if you don't know what they're going to find, then it really could be you know, harming any potential growth or opportunity that you, you had. Um, and we all know, I think, or have experienced a situation where uh, the biggest or the most um, interesting, exciting opportunities have come out of things or come in from a direction you weren't even considering in life. And so to limit yourself in general by not being aware of what is out there is, you know, I consider it very harmful. Uh, so that would be the, the first step. And then the second step is to become objective about yourself, which is very, very difficult, and figure out where, where you are now. Uh, ask people close to you. You know, if you had to tell, say, one, introduce me in a room, what, what would you say? How would you do it? And then where do you want to go? Because the idea is you want to change that introduction from other people uh, to help propel you to that next place. Um, the rest of it, I'd say, are is very much, you know, the the logistics, you know, the the, the science behind it. How do you get in front of the right people and do certain things? Uh, which actually provides some free guides on my my website, CynthiaLive.com, for that if anyone's interested. Uh, but the core, as a person, is to really make sure you understand what other people are seeing uh, and what you how you need to change that to make sure that you're not uh, doing anything that would be harmful to your future. Okay, so I've got like three questions right now, mm-hmm. and I'm going to skip two of them because I screwed them up, didn't ask them in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But you were talking about right there, you you actually had kind of an experience on, I think it was your what you would consider your credibility where you went uh, – you had been asked to speak at a round table. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so to me, that was, um, I read it in the book and that was kind of a striking uh, moment. So why don't you tell us, so Ray knows and our listeners know 
what the hell I'm talking about. Why don't you, you, right. you tell us about that incident? So I had been invited to uh, host or, you know, guide a uh, executive roundtable in Miami. And this was uh, a few years ago. And I went into it, and I had just started personal, you know, personal branding. I'm not even sure I knew exactly what I was doing. Uh, and I, I you get kind of this insulated version of yourself in your head. And I flew out there. I had been working on this nonprofit, so I was a little bit late. Uh, and when I got there, I met with the co-host, uh, and he, you know, we were talking about what we should discuss, and he said, um, I said, well, we just want to make sure it doesn't go over anyone's head. And he looked at me like I was maybe the dumbest person I've ever met. And he goes, oh, we won't be going over their heads. And the next day I, I got into the to the room, and I realized who was there, and it was you know, CMOs of Fortune 100 uh, companies, uh, Fortune 500 maybe, uh, discussing real topics at at the highest level, and I was there guiding them. And at that moment, I was, I was like, "Wow, I this is not about being important. This is about growth and opportunity." Uh, and I am so lucky to, to have that experience because I feel like it really changed my perspective of how to use these tools and who they were for. Uh, uh, since then, I've actually gone back and, and done. Uh, I want to say eight or ten roundtables, and I'm on the board of directors for the the company that hosts them, so for the advisory board. And uh, I really dug in and tried to do the best I could because I just was so shocked that um, I had thought to myself that I was there to offer anything more than what it was what it was. Um, because we, we should all be continuously learning. And this personal branding isn't just for people who have treat it like a full-time job. It's for people who are really doing the work and are out there in the world. Um, and I would even argue that it should be more for them. Like I said, that was, to me, was a, a, an awesome anecdote. Um, all right, so the other two questions I got, um, which Ray didn't catch and, and forgot to mm-hmm. ask is, where are you and what's the weather like? Uh, so I'm in... I'm in my office in Santa Monica, California, and it's pouring rain outside. <laughs> See, Ray? Yeah. We get, we get rain in California, too. Your turn. <laughs> really? I, I got to tell you, I am just elated with the weather right here right now. It's 46 degrees and sunny and anyway. <laughs> yeah. I, find, I know that I, rain, I has, uh, rain has problems. <laughs> I sent the rain to you. You know, thanks. We've had rain and snow the last couple of days, so that's fine. But, uh, Take your next question, my friend. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I think the whole thing about personal branding is excellent. It's a good idea, uh, uh, as I had mentioned to you, and that uh, one of the things that that comes to mind using today's vernacular of fake news, uh, if it's sort of, uh, if there is something that's bad about you out there, whether it's real or fake, you can overcome that by simply getting out there and overwhelming it with uh, uh, good news about yourself. Mm -hmm. 
Is that sort of what you're talking about? You know, getting getting you know, a handle talking, on, on 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 yourself. So, for instance, uh, so a lot of people don't realize what who can see which images on Facebook. So, let's say you go to Facebook, you're someone who had Facebook in high school, which those are career people now, and your party photos from your fraternity or sorority are still in your list of of main uh, profile pictures, which Google will pick those up, so can be in your images, in your directory. Or let's say you write a scathing review about something on Yelp or Amazon, or I've actually seen this where someone had um, reviewed a pharmaceutical drug that they were taking with their name attached to the review, and they didn't realize that everyone could see it. So when you search that person, you find all these things. Now, if you're going to hire someone and they were in this terrible terrible, angry um, reviews, time-stamped at 3 o'clock in the morning about a restaurant experience they had, you may think differently or twice about hiring them, even though it has nothing related to, related to the job. Uh, you might see those old photos of someone and think maybe they're uh, you know, a partier or maybe they are attached to someone else. It's those things that we overlook just because, I mean, who has the time for that, right? And who's really looking that far? And I'll tell you right now, they're definitely looking that far. Um, and, you know, we do this the same way. Uh, there's different ways to search. Like you should search your email. You should, you should search your phone number. If you are on a dating website, there's a little hack. Uh, people will search your phone number to find out who you are before they meet you in person. Um, so there's just little things that we need to be aware of in, of every part of how we're communicating because online and all the tools that come with it, they're, that's what they are. They're tools. And just like, you know, like an electric saw. If you don't use an electric saw correctly, <laughs> you know, there's danger there. I mean, there's danger in any tool you're using correctly. So it's important to um, make sure that you've set all of your security settings, you've taken things down. You know, if, if you worked at um, Barnes & Noble and now you're an executive, you know, and you're a Barnes & Noble teller, maybe that job doesn't need to be there anymore because it's all telling a story. And you want that story to lead to the next step, not tell all of the little tiny steps that got you there. That's true. I always call that the the, the grandparent rules. Never mm-hmm. post anything you you wouldn't want your grandparents to see. Or conversely, if you're a grandparent, never post anything you wouldn't want your grandkids to see. Right. So. Yeah. Um, <laughs> given that Ray and I are now grandparents, yeah, that the reverse actually works really well. Um, so uh, what are the elements of personal branding? So uh, I view personal branding as having four main pieces. The first and most important piece is uh, what I call personal proof. And these are all of the things that you as a person uh, need to do in order to gain the confidence to get to the next thing. So you, know, you don't need an MBA to start a business, but if you need an MBA to feel confident in your ability to start a business, then that goes into personal proof. All of the things that you need um, to get your confidence level or expertise to a place where you're going to feel comfortable going to the next piece. Um, The second one is social proof. Social proof are the things that you've done that other people relate to you and give them confidence you can do the next thing. So that's, you know, if you... If you um, were a, you know, want to get hired as a talent agent and 
you know, social proof might be that you worked as a talent agent's assistant. Even though you've never done the job, you've done something that shows proof, right? So one thing leads to another. Uh, and so when you're looking at that next goal for yourself, which we should all be doing, is that if you want to pr- paint that picture of the opportunities, um, personal and social, that you've done or completed to get you there or that tell that story that you're capable. The, the third is uh, recognition. And recognition are things like degrees, awards, employee of the month, um, really any time that you're given uh, something that says you stand out in a certain way to a certain group of people. Those are very powerful. With humans, we love, love, love um, when other people get awards. We just assume they're better. We don't even ask. Sometimes people don't ask what the awards are for. It's like, oh, you got an award. You must be really good at whatever it is you do. Um, and then the last one is association. So association refers to, you know, uh, the the people that you um, hang out with, the college you went to, the jobs, the companies you work with, the nonprofits you, uh, um, you know, volunteer with. And in some cases, we're even seeing it uh, fall into brands that you associate and purchase um, for yourself. So the example would be, uh, you know, we're looking at how everyone sort of ties together, right? Um, if someone... You know, went to Harvard, but you know, doesn't have a job and something that they do. Like we, we all have paint a picture of people in our mind. We also will look at a room of people and naturally put them in order of importance, and that can be different for everybody's in, you know perspective. But uh, there comes a time and place where I say, you know, you, are you uh, lucky that you went to Harvard, or was Harvard lucky to have had you? And those things flip and change. And it's really important for us to be aware of um, who we're associated to and how we fall in line with that um, in the minds of most people. And then you put that all together and you can tell really interesting stories with gold in mind. uh, And it changes the landscape of what I call just your digital resume. Yeah, I always called it the digital persona, but okay, I can give a digital resume. Fred. Fred, Fred, I yes. think it's time to pay the light bill. Okay, we're going to pay the light bill here. <laughs> uh, I want to thank the Link Local Network for broadcasting our show. I want to remind people that they can listen uh, or they can uh, call in and ask questions at uh, 323-580-5755. And the people that are hanging out on the website, you can uh, send a chat message, and we will get your questions asked. And now, a word from our first sponsor. Hey, franchise owners. How is your local marketing? Do you feel like you could use some help keeping up with your social media posts and comments and reviews? Do you wonder if you could be doing more to attract local customers? Are you able to identify new move-ins to your local area? At Westvine, we help franchisees like you reach more local customers through digital marketing. With daily monitoring, creative content, and ad placement, and customer data intelligence, we'll get your business in front of the people who want your products or services. We also work with franchisors who need an agency to handle the digital marketing for all of their locations. If you're ready to reach more local customers, give us a call at 805-265-5440 or visit us at westvine.com. That's 805-265-5440 
or Westvine with a Y dot com. And thanks again, Michelle. And like I said, the people I can see you all hanging out on the website there. Send your messages. We can chat. Back to you, Ray. Well, uh, Cynthia, tell us about uh, Mel and Ivy. Right. Uh, so Bell and Ivy is uh, I, I co-founded with my business partner Zach Binder. We started out uh, originally as a digital marketing and uh, personal brand agency, and then in May of last year we acquired a PR company. So we also do PR, and then uh, last month we opened our second office in Las Vegas in partnership with a production studio um, and stage and also a trade show design uh, and labor company so we can get into uh, production and experiential services for clients. Uh, And I'm from Las Vegas, so it's very exciting for me that we're there. Uh, My mom's there. And, uh, yeah, we've got an amazing team. Uh, We work primarily in uh, more difficult verticals, things like healthcare and insurance, um, cannabis, crypto, blockchain, um, software, things that are uh, more regulated and a little bit difficult to pull off from a digital perspective. And uh, we're about two years old. Like I said, an amazing team of people. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's going. It's growing. So you said the C word, cannabis, and um, – Mm-hmm. How's the how's it's the going? Like the M word too. Yeah, I know, huh? but C word C word's more interesting right now. Um, so how's the um, how? Obviously, there's issues with uh, utilizing uh, ads on digital platforms with cannabis. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you tell a, a fledgling cannabis company to do besides call you? Well, I would get creative about. Um, or creative with, it really depends on what the business model is, right? So, are you uh, are you a, a brand? Are you are you a, um, a store? Are you what are you doing specifically in that space? And um, the the second thing is you have to be two steps ahead, right? You need to be, you know, you need to be communicating with with everyone in your industry right now um, because. You, the people in the space are who have each other's back at this point. It's the early days of something that's about to blow up. Um, the second thing, or the third thing is um, you, you want that. You want good press uh, because good press and, and about the products or services you're, you're selling because those are things you can actually put out online um, that, you know, tell your story without getting you in some kind of trouble. Um, and, there's a couple of hacks. One being you can't market cannabis on Facebook or in a couple other places, mm-hmm. but you can market communities about cannabis anywhere. So build a community. Put your customers in a Facebook group. Like Keep them engaged, and you can market that to other people interested in that topic, um, and that then would link directly back to your site. You can do things like, uh, you know, Creative campaigning. Uh, you know, in the early days, we saw people weren't allowed to post cannabis, and they weren't allowed to post, let's say, you know, women in a certain light. But then they started painting women to look like cannabis, and these campaigns blew up because they were they fell right in like just a sliver of 
of uh, areas where it wasn't regulated and, you know, they could get away with things. And that draws attention and excites people. Um, and the the last thing is don't, you know, make it, make it, like, make it sexy and, and, and like, for, you want your mom to look at it and think it's beautiful, you know, um, because that's how cannabis is going to, to grow into the industry that, you know, with you versus without you is if you can keep that level of almost as a luxury style versus uh, what, you know, I think some of the earlier companies were doing, a little more masculine ecology look and <laughs> feel. Um, so so it's, you can change the perspective of this industry by changing things like the packaging and um, the, you know, unique way of telling your story. Ray, back to you. Well, I find you know what she's saying very interesting, but uh, you know, uh, so I, I can imagine digital marketing with, with cannabis is—it's got to be a tough, tough issue. So, yeah, how, how do you? Go ahead. No, of course, yes, it's tough. You know, what, 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 are the, what are the trends and strategies regarding that? You know, the, yeah. Uh, well, the other thing is that you can't necessarily go out and, and uh, put ad dollars in many places uh, for yourself. So it doesn't mean your customers can't. Uh, so, you know, that is another encouraging them to participate and share and discuss is also very helpful. And there's ways around, you know, it's not just about cannabis specifically, right? Um, you've seen this with credit card companies. You've seen this in certain types of healthcare. You've seen this with the insurance industry where, you know, Google and other platforms just decide you're not allowed to advertise that way or they they prohibit or limit your ability to do so. Um, marketing, these, all of these things, they're just tools. Marketing it as it is what it, at the core, what it is, is putting something in front of someone and telling the story in a way that makes them understand why they would need it. Everything else is a tool and a platform to use. So if you keep that in mind, you can get very, very creative and um, work around a lot of the restrictions uh, that are put in front of you. So what you're saying is, is you can't go directly at it. You have to bank shot it. You have to bank it off mm-hmm. something else. Facebook, uh, like Facebook community, something. Sub- sub- liminal. Is it sort no, of subliminal? I don't know if I'd go that no. far. So in other words, you could have a radio show on cannabis yeah. that you could advertise. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There you go. And that's it. Like, you know, there's always going to be rules, and, and whether it's personal branding or, or marketing for a company or, or you know, just living your like everyday life. Have a goal in mind and figure out how to get to the goal instead of figuring out how to make these tools work for you to get to that goal. And, and if they don't, if it doesn't work, move on. There's always another way. Okay. I'm, I agree with it. So um, you've got a, a chapter on perception as reality and, and Mm-hmm. That, of course, is, I think, the, the marketer's, uh, uh, I don't know, the marketer's uh, core belief of if I can uh, change people's perceptions, um, I can change their reality. Um, 
at least that's my view. Give us your view on it. So I I actually look at it the other way, which is um, how someone perceives you is your your reality, your company's reality to them. So if they don't think you're a bad company, if they think it's a bad thing or a negative thing or it's not for them, you have one of two options. You either change the uh, the message or the style or you find the uh, the customer that sees you as something that is uh, valuable to them, right? Uh, because we all want to – there's a lot of – companies out there that get into a bad habit um, purely out of just frustration, I, I would assume, of blaming the customer as, instead of uh, the, the looking at it from their perspective. And besides, your, your goal is to get to that person. You need to step into their shoes. You need to see it how they, they need to understand how they see you and uh, either change your marketing product strategies or find a new kind of customer. But you see this over and over again where people will send the same message, the same person that isn't getting it and doesn't doesn't want to get it. It doesn't it feels um, it doesn't feel authentic. It feels a little bit lazy. Um, and so you you the perception any person that would potentially buy your you know product or service has of you is the reality of who you are to them. And it's difficult to accept sometimes, especially. If you, know, you realize doing a one thing would lead to another, you see this like, um, you know, with Gillette, for instance. So they put out that commercial. A lot of people got upset. Then they put out an apology, which upset the other half of the people that weren't upset. And you wonder, you know, now their perception has changed about Gillette, and they just sell razors. But that's not what they do now. <laughs> they do other now that they're a symbol of something, right? So it's it's really, really important to spend time understanding how you're viewed, how you fit into someone's life, um, you know, and in and do they see you as how you would want them to see you, and is it even possible to get there? Are you delusional, or is it is it a realistic goal that you can achieve? So that what we normally what I normally find people have problems with is understanding who their best customer is and what message that their best customer responds to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's, and, people seem to want to be everything to everybody, and yep. <laughs> it, to me that seldom works. It, um, it really um, yeah, it really does, unless you're selling something that everyone needs. But even then, I mean, for instance, yes, does everyone need soap? Of course, everyone needs soap of some form. And but even to compete, you know, you have to figure out why your soap is better to everyone. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's a different. The messaging is: is it? Do you have dry skin? You know, do your customers have dry skin? They don't all have dry skin. So it's looking at you know directing the conversation and changing the product to fit that customer base because you could technically service soap to the entire world. Um, but they're all going to be looking for their unique messaging around your soap to make it more important than any other kind. So that's the the difference. Um, but you're right. It, it's especially if you're if you have a a vision, um, and happens a lot in founders where you have a vision about disrupting or changing or selling a certain thing in a certain way, with the assumption that everyone is exactly how you think of them or exactly like you, and that's never the case. You know, people 
very similar to me. You can be very different when it comes to purchasing things. So uh, it, it is a, the research element and the ability to step back and be okay with the feedback so that you can make changes is really important for people as marketers, uh, as you know, anyone in branding or someone that's looking at building a personal brand. Great. Okay. Any other questions? Or are, is your head smoking? Sort of a, a, a quick question, more, more like an opinion maybe. Uh, in the case of Gillette, so they had the bad publicity, but in reality, they got everybody talking about Gillette. Mm-hmm. So right. was it sort of good in a way? Yeah, well, the yes and no. So with Nike, for instance, uh, with Nike, it was intentional and it was backed by research, and you could see that because of the outcome. And I feel and people can see the strength in that um, primarily because it was a choice. It was a strong choice. With Gillette, I don't think, and you could kind of see why they wouldn't think that. Like it, it, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't strong enough, and we know that because they apologized. So they didn't know necessarily that they were disrupting, and that is kind of what messes with the perception a little more. Um, because now people that were like, "That was amazing, they did that. That's so strong, so incredible." But then when they turn around and apologize, it's very much like, okay, do you stand for this? Do you not stand for this? Now we're wavering. I don't know. Um, so even though they're talking about them, it was, it's not, it isn't a strong um, delivery. And so now the next thing they do has to be, a, like they have to figure out now if they, what, which side they're on and make a statement no matter what they do next. It's just, that's how it works. People won't, will always think of that if they've heard the story um, when they think of Gillette until Gillette changes the story. And they will. They have plenty of money. A lot of smart people, I'm sure, will be fine. But that's the difference um, between that and something like with Nike. And, and that's the problem when you take a political stand like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Anytime you um, – I think, again, with Angelette, I don't know if it was an intentional thing to yeah. disrupt any sort of political statement. But. Yeah. Yep. All so, right. Yes. Oh. oh, okay. So we've been talking to <laughs> Cynthia Johnson, author of Platform, The Art and Science of Personal Branding. Where can people get your book besides clicking on the icon on the Pillars of Franchising page and taking them to Amazon? Where else can they get their book, your book besides Amazon? Uh, yeah, so you can find all of the places uh, where you can buy the book at CynthiaLive.com or uh, you can find it at Target, Walmart, Barnes & Noble, uh, Amazon, Kindle, audio versions. It's, it's been distributed in all those places. So, um, yeah, and, of course, on your website as well. So thank you for, for putting that there. You're welcome, Ray. Any last questions while um, I check on a caller? Hmm. Not really. I, you know, I, I, like, like I said, I find the whole thing, of personal branding uh, intriguing because uh, branding is a subset of marketing and uh, so you're in essence you're marketing yourself would that be a correct statement you you are yes in in the sense you're you're marketing yourself uh, mm-hmm. 
more so, I would say, uh, change, changing the, the perception is the first step. The, right. So, so it's self-awareness right. for self-preservation, uh, and then it's self-promotion. Yeah, definitely. So, well, I can see where that's uh, yeah. uh, helpful to, to oneself as well as, you know, uh, your how, uh, how people see you, your, the, the color. Yeah, of course. Of, of <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, so our caller is just listening and says um, he likes what he's hearing, but he doesn't have any questions because you've answered them all. So um, okay. it's well, we all good. good job, then. Yeah, we did a great job, guys. <laughs> That's great. So we need to have you back on. Hopefully you can show up. Uh, we're, uh, next month we've got a Women in Franchising um, show, and we'd love to have you on that um, okay. to talk more about it if you can make it. So. We'll yeah, do that thank later. you so much. Okay, sounds great. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, and, and I hope everyone gets as much uh, enjoyment and education out of your book as I did, or do, am, uh, whatever. Sometimes. Yes. I appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great day. You too, Cynthia. All right, so let's take another word from another sponsor, but first I want to uh, remind everyone uh, that they can call in at 323-580-5755. That's 323-580-5755. And you people hanging out on the website, just chat with me and I'll ask your questions for you. And now a word from another sponsor. Zarian Firm International Business Brokers is truly unique in the business retail space. While the average business broker uses one standard multiplier across all businesses and industries to value a business, Zarian Firm is the only business brokerage that looks at the five factors of distinction in each individual business. This gives our sellers a true value and our buyers a fair price. Zarian offers sellers the choice of three marketing packages based on how quickly they want to sell their business, but all of our businesses sell 33% faster than the industry norm. Zarian Firm International Business Brokers connects premium investors with validated business opportunities. Uh, thank you, Holly. We'll be hearing more from Holly in a bit. But right now, on to our second guest. Uh, Ray, who's our second guest? Leslie Cuban. Hi Leslie. Yeah. Hi, Hi Leslie. Good afternoon. Don't you love his his Hi incredible there. intros? <laughs> I, He's quite know, practiced. In a nutshell. Tell. In a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being with us, Leslie. Uh, so you're also you're the author of More Than Just Franchise: Fifteen Business uh, Thought Leaders Share Insights on Franchising Success. You're a franchise professional, as we would call it. And you're also a franchise owner and speaker. Did I miss anything? Well, I have to say I am one of 15 authors of our book, More Than Just French Fries. Um, we have uh, different uh, people from different sectors of franchising. Um, my chapter is called Family Ties, and I owned a business with my father for nearly 20 years. So I um, wrote about uh, what it's like and what it means to work with family in a business, in a franchise specifically. 
So I thought you were going to say you were more than just one one French fry there. And never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it, Ray. You're up next. Okay. Wow. So what's the years. first two? That's a long time. What's the first two I, questions I, we I, have I, to ask her? Why? No. Where and <laughs> what? Oh. Where are you? And what's the weather oh, like? Oh yeah. Yeah, I you know well, I, I get in... so involved in this show I forget to ask the important stuff like where are you and what's the weather like? Well, I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. We had a beautiful day today. Uh, high of sunny, clear. High of around 60. It is dropping. It'll it'll probably get around 30 tonight. So um, it was like 75 degrees a week ago. So you never know what it's going to be, but it's actually actually pretty pleasant. Um, it'll get hot enough soon enough. So uh, we're we're delighted when we still have a bit of cool weather here. Excellent. Wow, we're Excellent. coast to so coast. Right? In two weeks, it's going to be you know in the 70s uh, during the day and uh, 40s at night, right? We don't know. It's Atlanta. It could yeah. snow. We could have snow. We could have snowmageddon again in two weeks. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> yeah, race in Chicago. It could do that in the next three hours. So you know. Oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so, you're a franchisee. What franchise are you? I am. Um, uh, t- this month actually marks my 20-year anniversary with the FriendNet organization. Um, we're a franchise consulting organization that works with franchisors and prospective franchisees and bringing them together. And my franchise territory is Georgia and the Panhandle of Florida. Mm, 20 years, Ray. She's got you beat, doesn't she? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that sounds like a fun franchise. Help franchise or ease. Definitely. It so is a lot what, of fun. What's trending yeah. In, yeah, what's trending in the franchise opportunity? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting how, um, you know, for many, many years, and, and this is still true, to a high degree that you know, kind of the poster child of, of who would, you know, find their way into entrepreneurship for the first time through franchising is usually, you know, someone in, in corporate leadership management, you know, mid to late career. Um, they're just, you know, tired of working for the man, want to do their own thing or have been through a corporate restructuring, you know, once or twice and just doesn't want to do that again. Um, that for, many years, and still is, uh, a lot of folks we work with. So, but the trending that I'm seeing, it's interesting, is, is some of these fringes of, of types of people who, um, you know, stand up and, and wave their hands and want to consider business ownership through franchising, they continue to swell. And some of those, it's interesting how the swell of multi-generational clients swells even more year after year. And what I mean by that. Um, is the number of families coming forward where the makeup is a um, usually a, a young adult in their 20s, you know, maybe early 30s, uh, who's bright, who's oftentimes been exposed to entrepreneurship at a young age, um, you know, interested in it, uh, and their their parents who maybe you know getting close to sunsetting in their corporate career wants to help their child. 
um, establish their career, but also have something that they can turn their attention towards perhaps when they've retired from their long-term corporate careers. So every year I'm seeing more and more multi-generational clients like that choosing all kinds of businesses and all kinds of industries. And it's a, it's a process near and dear to my heart because my father helped me get started in my first business, uh, mailboxes, et cetera, franchise, when I was in my mid-20s. So, um, and again, I wrote about that in my book, that experience of family business. So it's really delightful, actually, to see how more and more people are approaching it uh, as a family endeavor. So that's definitely a big upward trend that we're seeing in our business. Most definitely. So when you're tired of working for the man, you become the man. You become the man, right. (laughs) Okay, so how does that work for women then? (laughs) <laughs> well, we don't want to get into that. Okay. But, uh, right. I can definitely relate to that. I can definitely relate because I, I have uh, uh, a son and a daughter-in-law working in my business, uh, which is uh, definitely part of the reason that you, you want to uh, create a business is, is to help your family. Oh, are you waiting for me? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was a comment, so, Fred. You can, you can. I was, wait, I'm waiting a wisecrack remark, and I haven't heard it. So you, know, you had plenty of airtime there. I, I am sorry. I was just waiting for the question there, um, but that's okay. So no, I wisecrack. Um, so you said your father helped you get in the first mailbox RS. What made you? One of the topics or the goal of the pillars of franchising is to transfer the opportunity to somebody else. So um, you've obviously transferred at least one opportunity to someone else. What made you decide to um, transfer it, and what were some of the gotchas that you encountered in transferring it to somebody else? So are you talking about, about franchise and business resales? Is that what you're yeah. Referring yeah. to in that? When you um, when you sure. left your first franchise, why and how did you do it? Well, so there was actually a goal. Um, there was an exit goal from the very beginning, and and that's something I coach all my clients to really be thinking about. Um, I mean, everybody's going to leave their business, you know, one day, one way or another, and planning for that um, with some benchmarks along the way in and kind of assessing where you are, you know, on that goal and on that plan um, so that someone can set themselves up to, to monetize the equity that they've built in their business is something that I think everybody should consider. So the goal when I entered that mailboxes, et cetera, business, that was not something I ever envisioned as being my long-term forever career. And I was pretty young at the time. I was in, in my 20s and, you know, was basically still living a college lifestyle, so I wasn't really thinking beyond my nose. So I, I can't say that I was, <laughs> was, had a concrete plan in mind, but um, my father and I, when we decided to work on that project together, did think of it as a, this is going to be a learning experience. We took over a, a business where the owner was ready to exit and the business needed you know, quite a bit of attention. So I did that successfully and a couple of years later sold it. And it was, I was successful on the exit. So um, it was my, my goal to exit it going into it. 
And so, but, you know, getting to some of your, your question around that, um, you know, franchise retails are probably, depending on the year, 15 to 20% of the types of, you know, businesses that we help people choose. And it is a different animal. Um, there's a lot that goes into that. And I, I guess I'll, I'll ask you to ask the question again about what, you know, what, what you're looking for in terms of some thoughts or advice about franchise retail. Well, it's and you know Ray has actually uh, planned for his next generation um, taking over the business, and um, it, it's more of uh, my curiosity on. So for me, um, I used to have a about a year and a half ago. I would have told you I had a five-year plan to um, uh, vacate my seat in, uh, along the ocean as CEO, and then. My daughter went and did something and uh, gave me a grandkid, and my five-year plan turned into a 22-year plan so I could <laughs> turn my, my seat over to my granddaughter, and she can take over and um, achieve global digital domination. Um, but I'm always curious on, uh, and this is unfortunately a topic we have not been able to talk much about, and since you've actually been through the um, exiting a franchise uh it's just i think helpful to our listeners on um what when you went through it um especially as you say you hadn't really planned uh for it what were the gotchas that you ran into that surprised you or you didn't expect um I think where I would answer that question is maybe more from, I mean, it was a fairly smooth transition. You know, we found a buyer for the business. Um, It wasn't that complicated of a transaction, but, you know, we see it can get complicated with some, some franchise resale transactions. Um, Sometimes, you know, the seller has some unresolved tax issues that really don't come to light until the 11th hour or, you know, after the sale has taken place, um, the seller changes their mind, and they can and do do that, uh, you know, right up until the day of, of when, you know, the business transaction is supposed to close and, and the buyer has, you know, perhaps spent, you know, quite a bit of money on, uh, you know, attorney and accounting fees, you know, up to that point. Um, uh, you know, sometimes when people are relying on employees staying in the business, which you can't force anybody to say, I, I would coach someone if they were considering, you know, buying an existing business, don't buy it, you know, banking on employees staying. They may, but much of the time, um, you know, you're going to want to exit some of those employees anyway, or they're going to leave on their own. So those are the sort of things, you know, assumptions I think people can make, you know, when they're buying an existing business or trying to sell the existing business that if they're not, you know, dealt with and, and really, communicated about, you know, above board can really create problems that would prevent the sale or even create problems after the sale. Excellent. Uh, Ray, you've been... Yeah, so Leslie, um, it sounds to me like you you bought the business to flip it. Is that clear? Um, it was, I I would say, yeah, I mean, this is, this is over 20 years ago. So, I mean, this is, we're talking about something that is well into my past, but yes, you know, I, you know, the the reason for entering it, I I can't say that we had a, 
you know, an altogether great reason, you know, for entering it. I was out of college. I really wasn't certain what I wanted to do. I was bright. I was a good student. I was ambitious. I had grown up working in, in small businesses. Um, you know, my father has been a part of franchising for uh, most of his career and most of my life. So, you know, I'd been in and around small businesses and franchises before. So I wasn't a complete, you know, rookie at that environment, but um, it was almost, you know, I, I needed a place to put my, my time and talent and this opportunity presented, presented itself, but it was, you know, always with the you know, intention of it being, you know, a short term, you know, learning opportunity for me. And then I would figure out what I was going to do next. So, um, but, you know, I think there is something to be said for people entering you know, any of these businesses with more of an investment mentality with working on building it and scaling it in such a way so that, you know, in five or seven or 10 years, if they want to, again, monetize the equity that they've built into it, they've, they've planned for that accordingly to be able to do that. And I, I think that's the, the point I want to make with uh, some of our listeners is, yeah, I, I know I keep on quoting Stephen Covey a lot, but uh, you got you got to start the you got to start the business w- with a plan in mind. What is the end result going to be? So start with the end in mind. And I think once you do that, I mean, it doesn't have to be a grand design plan down in great detail, but you should have a pretty good idea where you think you should be in ten, fifteen, or twenty years. And if you don't start right from the beginning doing that, you find yourself scrambling in 10, 15, or 20 years. But if you start with that, with the end in mind, you you, you can begin to uh, create the uh, culture that you need to, to when you get to that point. Yes. All right, so I'll take the next question there, since it seems like everybody's stunned into um, disbelief. Um, my question is, we've been talking yes. about the end. We've been talking about, and, and I agree with Ray on starting with the end in mind. How do you get people started on buying a franchise? Sure, sure. Well, you know, I, I would say that the starting point really becomes before um, before walking down the path of, you know, buying a franchise. It's really, it's really considering business ownership. Um, you know, when people find their way to me, um, you know, with this idea of starting a business, many times, many times the call to us is the first thing they're doing to even do anything about their considering, you know, getting into business for themselves. And I think the first step is really, you know, assisting someone figure out, you know, are they in a time and place where going into their own business is really going to make sense for them and their family and their situation. So I think we do a, a great service in our community by helping, you know, a certain number of people figure out that they really shouldn't or that they really should wait until they're in a, a better situation financially or family timing or just other things that they have going on that could really be a roadblock to their success. So I think first and foremost, it's about let's let's figure out if, if going into your own business is really you know, viable and opportune for you right now. And then is franchising 
you know, the best vehicle for that. Uh, it's one excellent form of entrepreneurship, but by no means the only one. And, and a lot of people are going to find a good match in one of the many franchise systems out there, but, but not everybody. So let's, let's then figure out, you know, are you coachable? Um, are you the type that would work well within a framework, you know, working with you know, other people who are, you know, part of the same team, you know, your fellow franchisees, the, the franchisor, are you a, you know, a collaborator versus someone who's more of a lone wolf that might not enjoy or work well in that kind of environment. So those are, those are really some of the very first steps. And then um, you know, if we come to the conclusion that you know, something in the franchise world would make sense for, for an individual or, or for a family in a lot of cases, there's a whole bunch of dimensions that we then need to start talking about that starts that process. Of course, we have to understand a, per, a person or the people's available time commitments. Uh, we have to talk about the finances, you know, how someone would go about you know, funding or, or putting together the capital, um, establishing a budget for what is viable and comfortable. Um, a big piece of it is a skills inventory. Um, as you guys know, different franchise models really emphasize their owners coming to the party with certain types of skills. Um, you know, some businesses where you, you know, got a, a lot of people that you're, you're hiring and, and bringing on and advancing, you know, someone who's got some management or leadership uh, ability from wherever they were in their career before is, is something that we would look for. I mean, a lot of business services franchises involve, involve a lot of outbound business development or sales and marketing. And, and if that's someone's skill set, that typically opens the door to those types of opportunities. So the, the skills assessment and inventory to identify what people are good at, what they enjoy, is also a key factor in, in getting started down that road of what types of businesses would be a good fit. And, and there's a whole host of other dimensions that come involved, but, but the big ones that we get started with are you know, time availability, the, the finances part, and um, one's talents and skills that they would enjoy using in their own business. Okay, so before Ray jumps in, I want to hit the the finance question. Um, how much do you normally tell somebody they're going to need um, to in I guess financing or money to be uh, to make them successful in the long run? Well, you know, I can't say there's actually a general answer that I offer around that because it's such a, a case-by-case, you know, scenario. It depends, you know, a lot on, you know, what kind of income levels people are coming from. Do they have other sources of income? I mean, kind of the, the generalities would be, you know, with SBA, and, and, and that is the, the debt resource that a lot of franchisees use. You know, we know that it's, you know, probably 20 to 30% of what the – total project investment would be that the, the person needs to have with their own cash. You know, we have to look at you know, their ability to, to keep the, the mortgage paid and the lights on and the kids fed, you know, that's a piece of it too. So, I mean, the answer really could be all over the board as to what people need um, and where they're coming from, what other income they do or don't have are a lot of those key pieces that have to, that have to be a part of the conversation to, to then be able to, help someone assess if they're in a financial position to be able to really look at this safely or not. Okay. I can buy that. Ray. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we talk about that a lot on the show, actually, because uh, we find that uh, so many people are undercapitalized and don't realize it until the last moment. But one of the questions that uh, I think we need to ask, Leslie, is how do folks get a hold of you? Well, our, our website, um, we actually just completely relaunched our website. We're, we're very pleased with it. Uh, Frannet.com, F-R-A-N-N-E-T.com is a wonderful um, way to get in contact with us easily, but also um, a lot of great information about all sorts of dimensions involved in considering franchise ownership, categories of franchise opportunities. So um, the website is a great way to, to get connected. So, Fred, what do you think about that? Yes. I, I think we need a phone number. Um, uh, if she wants to give a phone number on how to contact oh, her. Oh, I'd be happy to. I, I would be happy to. My number is 770-579-3726. Okay. So then my last question is, is what, besides call you, um, what is the one piece of advice you would really want to, li- to uh, really want our listeners who are contemplating buying a franchise to know besides call you? Yeah, I, I think one of the, you know, where people might get it wrong is when they kind of confuse maybe, maybe their personal interests in, in the product or service that the franchise opportunity offers. Um, you know, as an example, you know, someone um, may really be a health and wellness nut and, uh, you know, they, they love the idea of owning one of the superfood cafe franchises, which are great businesses to consider, um, but that person's you know, love for that product or service as a customer doesn't necessarily mean it would be a good type of business for them to have and own and run as a franchise owner. And where the myth can be is, is when someone chooses the business because they love what it does and they love the idea of owning it, but the day-to-day the skills they would need to have or the day-to-day realities of what it takes to run the business isn't aligned with their abilities, with their, their time availability, with what they enjoy doing day in, day out to make the business successful. So, so the advice is, you know, look past, you know, what your feelings are about what the business does and really get clear by speaking with franchise owners, some who are new, some who are more mature in the business, if that's possible, and really get your arms around you know, what would your, what would your day-to-day life be like? What, what talents would it be a good idea for you to have? Because that's what you would be doing to start the business, to grow it, and to make it succeed. So making sure it's aligned with your talents and abilities is the, is the lesson there I'd like to pass along. Okay, so I like that. And I actually, I think you hit a, a second uh, lesson, which is one of Ray's rules, which is you should talk to other franchisees in that, uh, franchise or you're considering did, did, did I hear that oh absolutely I think that that's you know that's one of the wonderful things about franchising that um, you know, there's no crystal balls in entrepreneurship and, and there certainly isn't in, in franchising either but that's the closest thing I think we can come to it is to really get a, a pretty you know clear and, and transparent picture you know I find 
you know, most franchisees are, are very open and happy to help other people. And, you know, people like to talk about their business. So um, why not take advantage of that resource to, to learn, you know, what it takes to be successful, what they like about the business, you know, what, what they might do differently if they could start it all over again, you know, how they funded the business. Would they do anything different around that approach? I mean, people can really gain a very, very good understanding of what their experience would be just by taking, you know, a couple of weeks and, and spending time with, you know, six, seven, or eight franchisees. Um, I can't imagine not doing that. Ray? I definitely think that's essential to anybody I looking at the business. I, I, I did, yeah. Okay. Well, here, here's a good example. I'm not crazy about cleaning my house, but I love running my business. And that is a wonderful example. I've had, um, you know, I've, I've helped a variety of my clients over the years into residential cleaning businesses, and um, they've been able to grow some you know, really substantial businesses. And I can promise you, not one of them ever came into my office saying, if today's my lucky day, you know, I'm going to be presented a cleaning business. <laughs> and it was uh, <laughs> kind of an interesting, uh, interesting, and this has kept my business a lot of fun for me over the years, is that the majority of people, um, they're, they're pleasantly surprised, but they're really surprised by what businesses they end up getting excited about. It's, it's, yeah. it's most often something that was, you know, they never thought of. If they were looking at, you know, lists of franchise opportunities, it, it probably would not be something that they would just pick and say, that's the one for me. So um, I, th- I think a lesson is to also be open-minded and um, really listen to, to the business case and, and not be too quick to judge if a business would, would be good or not or if it would be good for you. Um, many times people um, – end up choosing something and are glad that they did and something they really didn't think they would have any interest in at the get-go. But the, the, the benefit of being open-minded about that is, is A, the, the journey to finding the right opportunity is a lot more fun and it's actually a lot easier. Awesome. So and then the last question is, besides the, um, besides the Pillars of Franchising website, where can people find your book? Um, Amazon is certainly a, a great place, and um, I would be happy to just email um, anybody in my chapter. Again, it's called Family Ties, and it's about working with a family member, as I, I did with my, my father for nearly 20 years. And so if, um, I'd be happy just to email um, the listeners uh, my chapter if they would like to have that. Awesome. Yeah. I only went to McDonald's. No. <laughs> fries with that? <laughs> you want fries with that Big Mac? I would say sure. And I didn't sign uh, it. Yeah, <laughs> no. Ray got one. Ray got a funny in there. Yay, Ray! <laughs> well, we want to thank you, Leslie, for being on the show. Um, you, Absolutely. you're the first one that, or first time in a while, we've been able to actually touch on the uh, transferring the opportunity to someone else and. Uh, we appreciate that, and we definitely want to have you back for the Women in Franchising show, um, if you're open to it. 
Um, and if you are, then we'll uh, we can talk offline and uh, get you back there. I would love to. And thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Hopefully, you had some fun. I know you've been. I know that. Um, I know that our listeners have learned something. I mean, I did. Great. So, all I'm right. <laughs> we'll be talking so to you soon. What did you, you learn, Fred? What did I learn? Yeah. I learned that Ray's rules are are still um, inviolate. They're they're just. What can I say? You know what you're talking about. Yeah. Viable. All right. So now another word, if we can find it, from uh, one of our sponsors. And then uh, we'll go to uh, Holly A. Ford's um, lesson for the day. Ever wonder how successful business people get educated about franchise business options? The Franchise Consulting Company is a group of over a hundred franchise professionals with more than 2,000 years of franchise experience. We help our clients select and investigate franchise companies. And like a realtor, our services are free of charge to you. Our fees are paid by the seller. Reach out to us to learn more and get a free copy of the Franchise MBA, the number one bestseller and highest-reviewed book on Amazon in the franchise category. Our website is thefranchiseconsultingcompany.com or feel free to call us on 800-321-6072. I also want to thank you, Nick. Um, I also want to point out today uh, that uh, the year's a franchise, uh, Great American Franchise Expo uh, in Houston coming up on the 23rd and 24th of this month. You can find the info on the, uh, I think it's Great American uh, Franchise Expo.com. Uh, and now for Holly A. Ford after the honeymoon. Hi, this is Holly Ford from Zarian Firm. Trending this week in franchising, the social entrepreneur. Social entrepreneurship is a term that was first used in literature in 1953 by H. Bowen in his book, Social Responsibilities of the Businessman. Social entrepreneurship is an altruistic form of entrepreneuring that focuses on affecting positive social change. Social entrepreneurs are forward-thinking change creators who establish enterprises to drive social, cultural, and environmental progress. What's the difference between an entrepreneur and a social entrepreneur? A key is that the social entrepreneurs are driven by collaboration, not competition. Elon Musk has proven to be a powerful example of this when he opened his Tesla patents to include worldwide technological collaboration, an action that noticeably mystified his business colleagues. A second distinguishing factor is simply focus. Social entrepreneurs are motivated by achieving a result that provides a sustainable solution to complex and deep-rooted problems. This doesn't mean they overlook or minimize the importance of a strong bottom line. Rather, it means that profits are the result of the business's humanistic contributions to society. The success of social entrepreneurs such as Jeffrey Hollander, founder of 7th Generation, 
and Helgeson, Fuchs, and Kurtman, founders of Better World Books, unveil the truth that humanity is seeking solutions to positive global changes. If you are a social entrepreneur business owner that has a profitable and replicable concept, contact me at holly at zarianfirm.com and Zarian can assist you in developing a franchise system that exponentially increases the footprint of your solution. Or if you would like to invest in a change creator franchise, email me at holly at zarianfirm.com. Now for today's two-minute topic, after the honeymoon, how to keep the momentum up after your franchise grand opening. It's typical for a franchisor to require initial grand opening or market introduction marketing, as well as an annual marketing plan to be submitted by the franchisee for approval and or developed jointly with the franchisor. The market introduction period generally begins several weeks before the opening of a new franchise location and may last for six months after the opening. You are happy. You have a franchise with a comprehensive national marketing plan that often includes advertising campaigns, commercials, internet advertising, social media, public relations, direct mail. Brand recognition is widely established. You are the happy recipient of brand equity. And then, after the honeymoon, you notice little irritating things about your beloved franchise. Sales seems to have declined a little bit. And what happened to all those positive reviews? Where are my repeat customers? Hmm. Is this the start of an inevitable path to divorce? The answer is, of course, no. And the business counselor will profess these timeless words, invest in marketing. The percentage of annual investment in a franchise marketing budget varies by brand, of course, but if that budget is not at least 8%, according to the U.S. Small Business Administration, you may be unwittingly impeding your business. Franchisee marketing refers to having a branded online marketing strategy for each individual franchise location underneath a broad corporate strategy. Differences in market area, weather, population demographics, Local competition are all obstacles in franchise marketing, which is why it is important to have a specific digital marketing plan for each location. Franchisee marketing programs that depend solely on low-touch press releases, social media kits, and template-driven marketing materials alone are not enough. Even before the honeymoon, implement a comprehensive marketing plan and manage it closely to optimize the results. The strongest media choices to consider Web-based advertising, such as SEM, search engine marketing, and DSPs, demand-side platform advertising. Social media marketing, of course, Facebook, Twitter, Google, plus LinkedIn, Instagram, YouTube, Pinterest, referral incentives, networking and sponsorships, and promotions. If your franchise is suffering from the post-honeymoon blues, <laughs> connect with me at businesswealth at zarianfirm.com and we can help you look for solutions to optimize your marketing strategy. Next week's two-minute topic is entitled Penny Lane, Dissecting Franchise Royalties. And finally today, our highlighted franchise of the week is Fueled Collective. Fueled Collective is a co-working and communal workspace franchise with an average growth rate of 24%. These collectives are social co-working clubs with private hospitality, fitness, exclusive conference rooms, and beautiful appointments. This franchise opportunity synchronizes well with business groups, real estate developers, 
to lawn suite owners and hotel owners. Total investment for a small collective, just over $2 million, $4 million for a medium, and 7 to 14 for a large collective, which goes up to 45,000 square feet. If you'd like to learn more about Fuel Collective's strong revenue stream or another wealth-creating brand, connect with me on LinkedIn or email me at franchise at zarianfirm.com. So if you have any questions about this topic or any other question regarding franchising, email me at holly at zarianfirm.com and we can cover it on a future episode. This is Holly Ford of Zarian Firm on Pillars of Franchising saying, see you next week, same bat time, same bat channel. Thanks, Holly. That was informative. I love the titles she comes up with um, and the stuff she uh, she talks about. It, it, I think that's, I don't know, I learn a lot. What about you? Me too. I always do. Uh, so if you stop learning, you're dead. Amen to that, my friend. Um, who knew, uh, you know, 13 months ago we'd learn as much as we did on Internet radio. I guess I'm not dead yet. You're not dead yet. Um, so two weeks from now, you're going to be, and no one called in with the, the question, but should we tell people where you're going to be in two weeks, or should we let them call in next week and try to guess where you're going to be in two weeks? Let's wait for uh, another week. Let's see what happens. All right. So if you listen to this, not live, folks, call in next week on the 21st. And it will tell you on the 21st what the prize will be if you call in and uh, guess where the Pillars of Franchising Mobile Studio One is going to be. Um, I myself will actually be uh, with a couple of our past guests, Ron Silverstein and uh, Tom Porterfield. I will be with them in Las Vegas uh, from I think it's the 23rd to the 27th at the International Franchise Association uh, yearly convention. So I'm hoping to find us a whole lot of people to come on the show. Any last words of wisdom for our listeners? Stay warm. (laughs) And since I'm in California, I'll say stay dry. Thanks for listening, folks. This is Pillars of Franchising, broadcasting the secrets of success. We'll talk to you next week. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. <laughs>